Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mott. Welcome in to College Soccer Nation. We're back after the NCAA championship, and we're ready to talk about a bunch of the games and, and the championship. My name is Matt Mott, one of the co-hosts of the show. I want to bring in uh, Chris Petroselli and Brian Lee, the other two guys I'll be on. Chris is the co-host. Chris, how are you? On this fine, uh, where are we at? We're on a Wednesday? Say Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday the 18th. Today is Wednesday. We're uh, in the middle of uh, right now Liverpool is tanking and heading out of the top four as we speak. Oh, what's the score? I don't know. I just said that to see what Brian would think. (laughs) I I think after after Allison's goal last week, how can we not get the final six points and be safe? It's, it's given me ideas. Rice soccer next fall, our free kick shooting goalkeeper will now be on the end of attacking corners. I don't see why not. There you go. There you go. Um, it's impressive. It's very impressive. So we've, it's been a minute since we've had the show. Uh, we've had a lot go on with the three of our lives. Uh, well, not really much for me, but certainly for you two. Um, so again, we would have been on, but Chris was off in Mexico fishing. Catch any big fish, Chris? I did. Yeah? Yeah. How was that? It was quite fun. We caught some uh, what they call jack, which I think is what we call here like an amber jack. Mm. And uh, cooked them up nice. So that was, that was a nice. How, how much did you do in the fishing? Like, did you cast out the cast out the pole? Did you let the riggers go? Like, what was your role on the on the boat? You like Gilligan, or were you like uh, the captain? You have the the first mate who sets the bait, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah. Sends everything out there, and then when it hits, you just pick up the pole and you start reeling it in. But those guys were those guys were hard. I mean, they were you know thirty minutes or so to reel in. Got, I think three, you know, probably I don't know twenty pounds or so, um, and they were there was some work. Reeling them in. Those, those guys are in the bottom. They're on the bottom, Matt. They're bottom feeders. So that was a long mm. way to reel them in. Okay, so bottom feeders. So how far down they have to go to get them? I don't know, Matt. I didn't swim down there and look. I know they were down there pretty far because it took a long time to bring them up. <laughs> um, well, that's fun. And then, uh, then you had a little uh, issues with your neck. Yeah, I'd have a little surgery on my neck. So, um, you know, Chris, people don't usually say a little surgery on my neck. They may say a little surgery on cleaned out my knee or cleaned out my ankle. Yeah. People don't usually mess with the necks. Yeah, That's disc scary. replacement on a couple of couple of discs and a couple of fused vertebrae and and that kind of thing. So, uh, Matt, I got this pain in my neck. Usually, that's you, but uh, uh-huh. I think there are other reasons now. Well, I thought I thought it's more about you know you playing in that seventy and older league, you know, heading the ball and that stuff. Is that is that maybe what it is from you know? You know, the doctors say that um, that they see this kind of injury in older soccer players. Yeah, I believe them heading the ball and move, you know, scanning and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's a seventy and older league, though, man. I'm not playing in that. Not playing in the seventy and older. I'm not. Oh, okay. 
Brian, oh, let's bring Brian Lee in. Brian, how are you on this fine uh, Wednesday? You also have been busy uh, buying houses and, and moving and all that stuff. How are things? Uh, things are outstanding, Coach Mott. They're fantastic. So are we are we going to gloss over the part that the reason why we didn't do the show when we were supposed to last week is because Matt was playing golf? Are we just going to skip I that? I think that has been passed over. Some of us were having real life activities, you know, taking care of our families. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Others of us were just having a nice little challenge around the golf course with our friends. Um, hold on. First of all, I spent 12 days in Raleigh. I was home for two days, then I was back in Raleigh for eight more days. Can I not get a, a morning of a little golf? I mean, we couldn't fit this in. Did you just play one morning? <laughs> no, but the podcast was only supposed to be one morning. <laughs> we tried to do it at night. Brian, oh, it's too late for Brian. We tried to do it in the afternoon. Oh, Chris got to have neck surgery. So my little four hours compared to your guys' days on days on days is a big difference. But it is very it was a fun round of golf. It was together, I will say that. It, it was very difficult. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to it. No one cares about why we aren't on, but now we're on, Chris. So let's yeah. rock this thing out. So yeah. we, uh, we're going to go back to the Elite Eight games. We're going to yes. talk about each of them and then the Final Four games and then the, the, uh, the championship, right? So uh, let's start out with um, – uh, the first one that was up on first one up was a uh, Florida State zero, Duke zero in a 110 minute showdown that came into penalties that, that Florida State won on penalties. Give us your thoughts, Chris. Well, basically, Florida Florida State passed the ball for 110 minutes. They had 800 and some passes or some ridiculous number, um, but they were not lethal going forward and 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 didn't finish and and let Duke hang around and Duke obviously had a good plan and, and kept them out and uh, got the penalties and the professionalism of Florida state on penalty kicks in that match um, really came through. I mean, they were fantastic penalties. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you define lethal, right? They had three or four, I call sitters probably should have been goals that they didn't sure. finish. So is that not – Brian, let's get your thoughts on that. How, where are you on lethal? You create four chances in a game, really good – I'm talking about good quality, close-range chances. You want more than that in a game? You think you need more than that in a game, in a game like that, where the team's sitting in, or is four enough? A definition of lethal. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's a tricky one. You know, to me, it's so much familiarity of the two teams – They'd seen a lot of each other over the course of the year and Duke's yeah, in the low block. You know, that's a – Duke's a good team with good players set up the right way to give themselves a chance. Where I did think Florida State was lethal, I agree with Chris. That was – my word was ruthless penalty kick display. Not, not words lethal and ruthless you would associate with penalties very often, but that was so impressive. So well-trained. They look like five robots taking the – approaching the ball the same way. Their jog up was identical. It was so professional and so impressive. That was my major takeaway. Yeah, my comment to Chris after was Manchester United, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they would all love to have their penalty take, kickers take Absolutely. them like that. Those were, those were as impressive as there was. And there was a lot of penalties in this tournament. I think part of it was – we were able to seed it one through 48. And so we got really good matchups and really tight games. And it came down to penalties. And, 
and some just unbelievable performances. But that that one was the best of the of the tournament in five shooters without question. So, any other thoughts on Duke uh, Duke Forest? Or we move on. Your know, last time, Chris, I cut Brian off a couple of times. He made, let me know it, so I want to make sure I give him ample time to talk. If he has any other comments he'd like to make. No, nope, no, nope, that's all I needed. Okay, okay thank you. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome, Ryan. Anytime. All right. Virginia TCU on Virginia wins 1-0 versus TCU. Yeah, but Virginia, you know, outplayed TCU. And and they what they did was they, they kept Yasmeen Ryan in check, although she knocked one off the bar late, yeah. you know, and, and could have tied it. But again, another close score. Um what did I say? Seven shutouts between the the in the round of eight and then the semifinal and final. There were seven shutouts. Hmm. Um, three penalty kicks. Five of the seven games were one nil or or nil nil. So it was hard to score. You yeah, know, it was hard to, for people to score, um, and it should be that late in the year. Yeah, I'm going to say this, and uh, and Brian knows Virginia better than I do, as he scouted them and played them, obviously. But my thing is this, <clears throat> TCU is a really good team with a couple dangerous players. Uh, like you said, Yaz was, was great the whole tournament, I thought. But Virginia was a different level for me all the way around than TCU. Just a little bit, just a better team, um, more more dangerous attackers, better defenders. Probably the only difference was I think TCU's goalkeeper is probably better um, than Virginia. And Virginia's goalkeeper is good. But I think that all in all, Virginia is just a step above TCU. Great for TCU to get there, but I think um, I don't think they were Final Four worthy based on Virginia in, the, in that group. Brian, my thought is it's a it's a classic example of recruiting tiers. TCU is very good, class of the Big Twelve, some great players, couple future pros, and nowhere near the quantity of top top level players is Virginia that that front six for Virginia and I don't know what you call Gidry coming on the back on the left side the front three Taryn Torres Godfrey the young center mid and those are those are future pros if they want to be um, and that was just too much overall for TCU although I'd like to see a replay a super slow-mo of the ball off the bar and down if TCU gets the late equalizer and we get the penalties, you certainly like their chances with Alvarado. Mm -hmm. um, would have been interesting. Okay. Let's keep on moving. Brian, you're good. Anything else? <laughs> That's it, coach. Okay, good. All right. Let's go on to um, the next game was uh, North Carolina versus Texas A&M. 1-0 win for North Carolina. And again, I think similar like – North Carolina was better, um, you know, deserved winner, um, hard to score. And I made it, made it hard for him to score, but North Carolina, I think just overall, their level of play is higher than Texas A&M. Yeah. I, th I think Texas A&M was in this game the whole time. I, I do. I thought they were in the game. Um, I thought they could have had a goal. I didn't think Carolina created a ton. Like you said, I mean, all these games were tight and tough and, and one goal games and so on and so forth. But I, that one for me could have went either way a little bit. I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, probably for AM, the, the lore of UNC and their mentality and their approach and all those kind of things probably willed them into this game. But I'm not sure that 
that Carolina was that much better um, than, T- than uh, Texas A&M on the game. And I'm not being an SEC homer. Oh, um, sure, you're not. I'm <laughs> not. <laughs> Never, never would you do that. Never. I don't know how many times on this call, on these uh, podcasts, I'm supporting the Aggies. But in this game, I thought they were up for the task and did a good job and probably a little unlucky not to score. But Carolina, man, how many times have they lost in the Elite Eight? I'd like to know. I wouldn't think very many. They get yeah, themselves to the final form. So, Ryan, your thoughts? Well, thank you for asking, Matt. The Yeah, what I thought from this is – I. Ana misses a great chance early on. Yeah. Could have, would have, should have been up one nil. And she finishes that nine times out of 10. And then, you know, the goal to give away is just an errant pass in a bad area of the field. Um, and I thought that, I thought overall the game was very competitive. And I think whether or not it's a tip of the cap to AM, could they have really been a Final Four team or was it more red flags on Carolina, which we saw every round? of mm-hmm. the tournament and you know it's credit to Anson that they kept advancing you know with clearly chinks in the armor um round by round to make the semifinals in the end I think it was a great coaching job yeah no doubt all right the last one in the lead eight uh Santa Clara one Clemson zero so Clemson made it hard on everybody right I mean it was uh, they did a real good job defending they made it made it hard for people to score um, and, and let me ask you guys this Santa Clara wins that game to get to the final four, which is a great accomplishment. Did anybody at that point think they were going to be a national champion? I don't think there are a lot of people thinking at that point, this is your national champion. I did not, um, even though, again, they're you know, they get to the final four, uh, it's a pretty good accomplishment. But we started to see what they're all about and that they can score. Yeah, the, those two guys up front just proved it over and over and over again to me that they're quality, quality against everybody. And, and then I think in that game is where their defense started to start to shine a little bit. That back four for Santa Clara really started to continue to come into their own. And, and some of those guys started to really show out as, as really good players. I think all year we talked about how great Santa Clara's two front is and how great Trumbull is. And, uh, and then um, – you know, now the back four really started to look really good. So, anyway, uh, very good. All right, uh, Brian, your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts, you know, last game of the the Elite Eight, and what I thought was the, the big um, takeaway from this round of games and best emphasized in the Clemson-Santa Clara game was just the quality of the coaching of even the teams who lost in the Elite Eight. You know, that's a bunch of older, experienced coaches – who've been doing it for a long time and you give Eddie a three, four days to set up for almost anyone. He can slow down those two forwards and give Eric Bell and Higgy enough time. You know, they're going to handle that Virginia front line as, as well as possible. And uh, Phil and G do a really good job at A&M of prepping their teams. And, you know, to me, that was the big takeaway, the quality of coaching, to give your team a chance to reach the final four when the four teams who are advanced were clearly more talented, clearly the better teams, all four of those games could have gone any direct, either direction. That's and right. I left Robbie off that yeah, great job by Duke sitting in the low bloke, uh, low block against uh, FSU to give themselves a chance. It, it was, it was a very impressive coaching clinic in a knockout tournament, despite not getting uh, the results they were looking for to advance. 
Very good. I totally agree. So now we get the final four set, right? Last Thursday, we have Florida State uh, versus Virginia and Santa Clara versus North Carolina. Really four powerhouses in, in women's soccer, right? I think take out um, Stanford and maybe UCLA, you got four big time programs. Um, Santa Clara certainly in the past and now coming back onto the, onto the uh, stage, good for them. So here we go, Florida State, the first game up was Florida State versus Virginia, an ACC matchup. They had played earlier in the year, Chris, right? And that score was what? 4-3 for Florida Four, State. 3 Florida State, crazy. And so now they match up in the, in the uh, national semi Thursday night, set the stage, beautiful night, weather was perfect. Uh, unfortunately, they're looking dead into the sun um, from the benches, but uh, good crowd and uh, the stage was set for a big time showdown. And I think we got it. We did. And uh, I, it's probably um, Virginia gave Florida State their toughest game. Um, in that, you know, even in the final, Florida State had the ball a lot. You know, not as much in this Virginia game. And Virginia created more chances against Florida State than anybody has. And I think what you – for me, um, obviously the, the penalties again for Florida State, you know, uh, win it for them. But what stood out for me is um, just how talented Virginia is and just what a machine Florida State is. Like, you know, you, you probably all year long, we've been saying Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. They may not have been the most talented team on the field that day. And they still they still won the game. You know, yeah. in Virginia, I, I just so many good players and you know, the, the fall was tough for them. COVID injuries, all that kind of stuff. But when they got it going, man, they were really, really good. And uh, unfortunately for them, they, you know, they ran into Florida State, but I was really impressed with Virginia on the day. And and again, just, you know, the Florida State machine churns out the wins. Yeah. Well, I thought um, what a fantastic soccer game this was at 0-0. And then everybody was talking about it. Because Virginia created chances in the first half, kind of. It's like a boxing match where Virginia kind of took the first hit, hit, hit kind of hit Florida State in the nose, and they're like, whoa, whoa what's going on here? Um, and, you know, probably a little on un- un- Unfair that they weren't up one nothing at halftime. And I thought the, they went in and made changes, Florida State made changes, and came out. And I thought it was Florida State's second half. They were much better in the second half. They created the chance, some chances. And really, Virginia couldn't get a hold of it, right? Probably about ten minutes into the second half, right to the all the way to the to the penalties. To me, Florida State was the better team. Um, created more, but what a heavyweight, really heavyweight fight um, in, in in that game and. Um, you know, I got to believe if I'm Steve Swanson, I'm waking up with nightmares of looking at Mark's face because, you know, they've knocked him out of the final. They've knocked him out this way. I think they matched up one other time. They seem to match up in the ACC tournament all the time. I mean, it's just got to be so frustrating for Steve and his staff to continue to get knocked off by my Mark and, and really good games. And I think, you know, it was interesting. A lot of the people watching the game said, you know, that, that could have been the final. It was that good a game and two really good teams. So a great game. And then again, the penalties, unfortunately, Virginia's penalties were were poor. And yeah. Florida State's three penalties again. I don't remember a time where I've seen the penalty kick shootout end after three. I mean, 
uh, the Florida State keeper saved all three. Well, they missed the first one. She saved the next two. And then they just buried their first three. So pretty wild, actually. Ryan, your thoughts? I thought Virginia needed to cash in early in the first half when they were the dominant team. They kind of caught Florida State by surprise. It looked like Jared over on the left instead of the rights and, you know, found a way to be dangerous, but, but didn't cash in and probably weren't as dangerous as they'd like to be. I thought the drilling company did a great job on our, our Ordonez, um while Virginia had to run a play to keep the scoreline in nil-nil. And the, to me, the biggest um, underappreciated thing about Florida State is to the level which that is a coaching machine over uh, recruiting. Everyone thinks so. Florida State always number one, top two or three. But they do such a good job with player development and game day coaching. I thought they, the halftime adjustments were brilliant. Totally turned the game when they looked to be in trouble for the first time probably all year. Um, and got themselves on the, the front foot in the second half and were clearly the better team. Um, but in the end, I think the game we missed was Virginia-Santa Clara. I would love to have a reseeding of that post uh, final four and be able to see Carolina play Florida state one semi and for entertainment purposes, seeing the front line of Virginia against Santa Clara in the other semifinal would have been high dollar entertainment. That would have been, you know, actually speaking of that little side note. So again, they were limited by how many people they could have. They only have uh, 2,600 in for the semifinal day. And then the, the, the uh, governor lifted some of the bans and some of the restrictions so they allowed 5,000 into the final and it was a double header with the men and people in Marshall were trying to get there. They were scalping the tickets online, paying over a hundred dollars a ticket for the, the final for the Marshall Marshall game. I mean, that's how crazy it was. So it was pretty awesome. But anyway, side note. All right. Um, Cause I agree with that, Brian, I think Florida state Carolina and Santa Clara, Virginia and the semis would have been awesome. And then these games were awesome. So I can't imagine what that is. It's really a good point. Okay. So, um, the other semifinal, which was high entertainment, great game, Santa Clara three, North Carolina one. Yes, yeah, so here we start to think, man, there's something special about this Santa Clara team. They can score. This is a team that can score, and, and they show it. And as well, we see we had talked about, you know, North Carolina wavering a little bit. And they made a couple of mistakes in the back that that led to goals. And um, as we look at it, you know, now back sort of big picture, the losses that, that uh, of players that, that North Carolina took in mid-year certainly hurt them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and I'm, I agree with Brian. What a, what, a great, um, what a great coaching job by Anson, you know, just to get his team there. And we saw that when they got there – that, uh, I mean, quite frankly, Santa Clara was just better. Santa Clara was, was better. And, you know, those players up front were a handful and, and made a difference in the game. And as I said, North Carolina made mistakes, but they capitalized on those mistakes and they made sure they ended up in the goal. Well, I think, agree, what a, what a job they did with the group, but um, as makeshift Carolina as, as it's ever been. And I think that – it, it was interesting because when Santa Clara scored, we kind of thought, oh, did they score too early? Um, is Carolina come back? And so on and so forth. And Carolina fought and fought and fought, got them back in, got the equalizer. 
And then Santa Clara literally scores off the kickoff, right? To go back up 2-1. And that's when I think you start to think, okay, this, this Santa Clara team may be a little bit of a team of destiny. This may be the team of destiny this year. Um, because when you score, when you give up a goal like that, the momentum changes. The place is full of Carolina fans. It's going crazy. It's rocking. And literally off the kickoff, they go down and score, right? So um, really interesting to me. And then get the third one. I mean, Santa Clara did not shy away from who they are. They didn't change it. They didn't adjust it. They said, we're going to go forward. We're going to get the ball to these guys, and we're going to be dangerous. And three great goals. The third goal is a thing of beauty of, of 15, 16 passes before they finish. Um, I, I, I just – I agree with you, Chris. Uh, you started to really think, okay, this Santa Clara team is no joke. And, and these guys up front, when they're – you know, it's one thing when they're doing it for some of the, the lower level games, but when they're doing this, when they're tearing apart North Carolina like this, um, they, they, they really have something. Brian, your thoughts? Well, and this is the rare moment where I'm going to say, I think you pegged that one, Matt. Um, <laughs> the first time something just said like that on this show in 32 episodes or whatever we're at now. First time. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You know, the, the biggest, and I agree with you on when it got to 1-1 for Santa Clara to respond like that was unbelievable. And then just not to stop. You know, they didn't sit in at any moment. They went to win the game. If if I could have a pass to watch anybody train this spring, I'd, it's Santa Clara I'd like to go see after this. You know, the cutting edge they attacked with um, against some really good teams and their mentality and drive to compete and win this was where it kind of went over the edge and it was, Oh boy, they might, they might really win this. So impressive stuff. All right. Then they get three days off. So they play on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, clearly in some of the, uh, the um, training sessions, some of the teams were putting in new tactics. I think we saw Chris in the final and, and we get the final of, of the East coast versus West coast. Florida State, the number one team in the country all year long against the 11 seeded Santa Clara Broncos, who really cruised through the spring, but we just didn't know enough about them. They had the one loss to BYU, um, but won all the rest of the games. They came into the tournament flying with a legendary um, coach who had been, it had been 20 years since the Broncos had been to the, the national championship game. They All the alumni flew in, the, the Alley Wagners of the world, and, and and all those guys were in, Brandy Chastain and, and the whole crew there to support the Broncos against the number one team in the country. And the final began, Chris, and, and your thoughts were what? Wow, there's a lot here. Uh, there's a lot to unpack on this one. Um, you know, I, I looked into this a little bit. I mean, going into the tournament, Santa Clara seated 11th. They were 10-1-1. One, and one. Um, Scored 30, gave up 17. You know, and then 10-1-1 one, one is great. 30 and 17 is okay, you know, um, in, in a good league, right? In a good league, not a great league, but a good league. Compare that, compare, compare that to Florida State, 13, one and two. Now, you know, the games in the, in the spring, obviously we don't have those results, but they scored 41, gave up eight, right? Number one seed, um, Florida State was, was roaring at the end of the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go into that final and just based on what had happened, you have to think, okay, Florida State's got this. Florida State is the better team. Um, but we saw the front players from, from Santa Clara. 
we all saw some danger there. We all um, saw that there was an issue. And here to me was the most interesting thing. Mark saw it too, you know, and, and, and it, it's hard sometimes to be really honest about your own team, right? And I actually talked to him the morning of the game and he didn't get too deep into the tactics, but we talked a little bit about, you know, what, it, what do you got to do to control those players? I didn't think that meant man marking, <laughs> right? I, I, I didn't think, but that's what he went with. He looked at it and he went, we have to limit their opportunities. You would think that most coaches would look at it and go, we're Florida State. We kill everybody. This mm-hmm. is what we do. Like, we're going to go do what we do. And what we've done so far has gotten us to a point where we're undefeated. We're number one. We're, we're this, we're that. But no, he was really honest. And, and I think the greatest thing about it for him, his players bought into it. His players believed in it. His players trusted him. You know, his players said, yeah, this is our, this is going to work. This is going to give us a chance to win. Um, and it certainly did. I mean, you know, they, they, they had their hands on the trophy, eight minutes left, you know, up a goal. And um, unfortunately a, a bad back pass, a slip and Turnbow gets onto it, scores a fantastic goal. And, you know, they, they shut those guys down for the whole game, except for that one moment. And she finished it. And then, you know, we get the penalties and, you know, the, the lock ran out a little bit on Florida State come, come those penalties. You know, those kids have to maybe go a different way. It's in their head a little bit more. And they hit the post two times and, and Florida State and um, Santa Clara walks away with the trophy. So it's just a really fascinating chess game mindset from the two coaches where Jerry didn't change a thing. Jerry went, this is what we do. This is who we are. And, and Mark really thought about this deeply. And I thought came up with a great plan. So a couple things. One, um, uh, very good analysis, Chris. And I don't want to add too much to it because I think you're spot on. You know, it was interesting to me with that tight, watching the game, with that tight diamond that, that Santa Clara plays. Um, Florida State, and clearly the two forwards were sitting on the center backs, right? They were very central. So Florida State played around the outside. They, they played balls wide, and they, they spread those, their three midfielders out. They played, it looked like to me, a little bit of like a 4-2-3-1 and just kept going wider and wider to pull that diamond out of shape and be able to get at him. I think the part you didn't mention was Florida State created enough chances to win the game. Sure, they did. Without question. They, they should have been up to nothing at least when, when, the, uh, when the final whistle blew. I, I think I can say this. But referee should have given him a penalty. I think it should was a clear penalty. penalty. She's looking right at it. She's 10 wow. feet away. Um, that needs to be a penalty. Then the game changes, I think, again. Um, you know, uh, a couple of times they got in. McFarland is in and takes a, just a, maybe a half a yard too much of a touch, and the keeper gets it. Same thing with, with Yuji Zhao gets in. And, and just, a, a t- you know, you think Yuji Zhao gets in on that breakaway. That's a goal. And it's two nothing game set match, and just takes a heavy touch, and the kid's able to, to to get a tip on it. So some of those things, you know, you wonder did the the 330 minutes play a toll, toll on him with the the overtimes against Duke and and Virginia. Um, but yeah, no, again, team of destiny for Santa Clara. That's the only way you win is something like they weren't going to score. They they were not going to create a goal. Uh, I say that all. I say that with the same idea of. Every time Santa Clara got the ball, I held my breath. 
thinking, oh God, you know, when they when they would break out and that um, when they when they, when they would turn them over, which wasn't very much, you no, know, uh, possession was seventy nine percent for Florida State. But when they got the ball and broke out, they were freaking dangerous, Chris. And and like you said, Mark knew it. And I think the uh, for for um, you know 80, 88, 89 minutes and thirty seconds, the man marking was brilliant, and and they didn't have an answer, and just unfortunately one bad pass, and and they're in. But I also say this. Credit Turnbull on, on the on the goal. Yeah. How you see somebody get in that position and pull it wide or or hit it yeah. at the keeper, or hit it over in that intense, tight moment, she took that goal beautifully. Really, really good. And nice, nice. I don't know how you're saying it. Walner, Walmer, uh, the, the the kid from Florida State. Her goal was brilliant. I mean, cut inside and just buried it off that that back post. So what'd you call her? Is it nice Walmer? Nice Walmer. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it. Um, but um, it was a, it was a, I, I was, I'm telling you, I was nervous the whole game. And then again, I don't have a dog in the fight, but it was just a national championship game in this great, and they're going at it and the crowd's crazy. And what a great, what a great um, pitcher for, for all of, for our, for our whole sport, right. And our profession, two really heavyweights going at it. And, and those kids, I mean, they, you talk about leave it on the field. They friggin' left it on the field. Uh, you look at Florida state crossbar twice in overtime. I mean, it's just, sometimes you think that's just not our night, you know, and, and the penalties that the two kids missed crushed them. Yeah. Crushed them off yeah. the post. I mean, one inch either way. I mean, you talk about a game of inches. Are you freaking kidding me? Um, painful. So, Credit to Santa Clara. Congratulations. What a job. But, um, you know, certainly a little bit gutted for, for our crew over at Florida State as well, because, uh, you know, it, to me, to me, they deserve better. Uh, but I, mean, I think Santa Clara might have been the team of destiny. Brian? Well, I think that's a great wrap up from both of you. You know, I, the penalty changes everything. I do think that's reality and that's a fact. I'm not sure how, why, I've seen a couple things where some officials said, no, it wasn't a penalty, something with her foot swiping one way or the other, but obviously that changes the game. Um, and, you know, the, the last time I felt like that, Stevie G was slipping against uh, against uh, Chelsea <laughs> and Brendan Rodgers was seeing his Liverpool career end in front of his eyes with a late season collapse. But they, they're passing the slip. That was just brutal the combination of those two things to happen that late in the game but same thing credit to Santa Clara awesome the environment they created those alums showing up I thought it was a great showpiece uh, for our sport from both teams I thought the whole final four was a great showpiece great showpiece for our sport and a great showpiece for the AARP of coaching you know the uh, I just turned 50 they keep sending me mail good lord I could have been out there and it felt like a young buck with, uh, you would have been with those guys, but um, you know everything about it. I thought was fantastic. I'd love to see the whole thing stay and carry for the next decade. Take care of that, Matt. Can you make that happen? Yeah. yeah. So as we put a bow on this, Chris, um, of the season, I know we want to do a couple of things, but I do have a question for you. So after a year-long debate and a year-long of questions, how did the committee do? With the NCAA tournament, are you what are you, are you like dying for a pat on the back? Like no, no, I'm not your honest so opinion. Come on, asking you an opinion, Chris. Just asking you an opinion. How do you think it went? 
well, I thought the games were fantastic. The committee didn't play the games. I, I don't no, think they should be for that. No, they, I didn't say that. So, I asked you an opinion. We've been on this podcast for months. But how, the committee needs to do this. The committee needs to do that. We have yeah. a committee does this. And yeah. so how, what, was your gra- what grade would you give them? Terrible. How, how they have Santa Clara seated number 11, I don't know. How you have Virginia not seated at all, I don't know. Like, they were way That's off. Where That's they where were going. way off. That's where you're going. Yeah. Brian, how about you? Well, Brian, let me ask somebody who actually played in the tournament. How how did you think it went, Brian? <laughs> played it. Played in the tournament. I actually played a season. Can you not? The guy said, "Imagine that." Can yeah. you not? You, you know, games. Uh, yeah. on. See, he didn't just not play in the tournament. He only got to play two games. Yeah. That's exactly. cruel and unusual. While yeah. while having while he's just coming off next surgery. Yeah. Um, I thought the tournament was awesome. I think the big thing for me was the seeding of the teams. It changed everything. And, and, you know, in this kind of season, I don't know what you do with Santa Clara. They played like eight games at the time. And Virginia, I did that. They were the classic. How do you, we all know they're very, very good, but results are results. And how do you make uh, exceptions for COVID or, you know, different campuses going under different situations? You know, there's a chance if Stanford got in, they'd have done really well. Um, that's a good point but big picture I thought the tournament was awesome having it all in one site fantastic and the uh, seating of the teams really created good matchups let's talk about this again I know we got a couple other things at the end but um, in your guys opinions is there an appetite for and I I talked to a number of people about this but is there an appetite for a elite eight um, all in one location you know, playing like a Sunday, Thursday, Monday um, to whittle it down for a championship. What positives, negatives? I know class and finals is a big, big piece to this when we do it in December. But what are the initial thoughts? Again, this may be a pipe dream and maybe could never happen with the calendar. But what are your thoughts? I love it. I love it. And, and the thing with finals is everybody's finals are different. So, yeah. it you know, it may affect one team. It may not affect another team, you know, just like, just like in this tournament, you know, there were some teams that were in finals in the middle of the tournament. There are some teams that weren't, you know, so I don't know that you can, you can totally count on, on the finals piece. I know for individual teams, it, it, it's a factor, but I love it. I, I think it'd be great if, if we could go to eight teams. And I, I actually also love the fact that the men are at, at the same time in the same place. I think it's a, you know, great focus on soccer. I think the carry, situation would be would be perfect for it you got a community that really embraces it you got facilities um i i think it would be great for our sport couldn't agree anymore i don't see any drawbacks at all to the 18 college cup the the student athletes would love it i thought they loved the experience of having the other teams around once you hit the sweet 16 and everybody was in carry the environment for the kids was awesome the exam piece, this is modern academia. They can take exams and take care of their classes over seven days. The Virginia kids did it. They were taking exams while they uh, were in the middle of the tournaments for a good six, seven day span. And, and they seem to do just fine. Um, so I'm a huge proponent. I think it's the next big step. And I also think making an annual event and carry is the way to go. And in 10, 20 years, the payoff for our sport would be immense. Yeah. I mean, again, the only issue we have is the television 
in that time of year with football and NFL and, and college football and all this stuff. But I think the, the theory behind it makes a lot of sense. It'd be really cool. That being said, next year's tournament, I believe, is going to be in Santa Clara at Santa Clara. Um, so you win the national championship, and then you get to host the next year. Finally. At Santa Clara or at, at the stadium? No, no, at, Santa at, at Santa Clara. Yeah, the, the San Jose Stadium. Again, I don't think it's decided yet, but that's where it's headed. They, they do feel that, you know, the only issue, if you could take Wake Med and stick it in the middle of the country, we'd really have some, you know, yeah. like Omaha is in, in Oklahoma City. But anyway, all right, Chris, what do we want to finish up with? I want to ask you guys a couple of things um, as we wrap up here and, uh, and, and finish up. Um, player of the year. Uh, you know, we all had a Herman Trophy vote and, and uh, player of the year vote and that kind of thing. Who's your player of the year, Matt? So it's tough. You know, again, you just told us before we came out, so you had a lot of time to think about it. But when I look at what player, if I had the first round draft choice, right, in the NWSL draft, I had every college player available to me. I was a coach at Chicago Red Stars. My number one choice would be Jalen Howe. I just think she, you watch her closely, she covers a ton of ground. She heads every ball. She runs the show. She's a true leader. Um, I think you build, you could build a team around that player. So Jalen Howell from Florida State is my, is my player of the year. Brian? I agree with Matt. If I had the number one pick, I would choose Howell. Um, probably for the course of the season, in reflection now, uh, my player of the year might be Pinto. You know, given what Carolina did between the fall when they were full strength and in the spring – as they lost players, uh, I think she impacted the national pitcher the most. But it's one of the most competitive years ever for, for the Player of the Year award. I think there's several really, really good candidates and some parity. I'm going to go with uh, Kelsey Turnbow. I think anybody who uh, forces Florida State to change the way they're playing um, certainly – deserves uh, recognition. So I'm going to go with Kelsey Turnbow. How about coach of the year? That's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I'll go. Can we go first? Sure. I'm going Eric Bell. They're the team for me that flashed on the screen from nowhere. They, uh, they um, you know, for me, they ran the Big 12, won the Big 12, and then backed it up with a lead eight, eight run and almost into the final four from a guy that's hardly been in the end of the tournament. So when you look at a whole body of work played in the fall, you know, again, you know, he played in the fall and played in the spring and got his team. And I think quite honestly, um, they overachieved uh, significantly. So I'm going with Eric. I think uh, just fantastic job from him and TCU and, and um, you know, capitalized. Think about lost Yaz there at the end, still was able to win the league and then came back in the spring and, you know, Think about it. they had to beat Notre Dame, they didn't have to, but if they don't beat Notre Dame, they don't get number one seed. And they have to beat Notre Dame at home. I, I, I'm going Eric Bell. Brian? Jerry Smith. Uh, you know, 20 years, is it, between national championships? And I don't think they were picked by many in a preseason to, to do this. And you know, they did it without a normal fall and a really short schedule in the spring. 
what they play seven, eight regular season games. Yeah. And then to be able to get into this and, and take out a couple of the top ACC teams along the way, uh, I think it's Jerry Smith. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jerry as well. I, I think what he did was uh, was impressive. And um, again, I, I don't I don't know that Santa Clara got enough credit, you know, throughout throughout the season. So I'm giving him a lot of credit right now. Um, how about your yeah, pick? Real, real quick, let's go through this. Yeah. Just for the record, Brian, Chris picked the MVP of the Final Four and the National Championship coach. And I'm the one that gets called the front runner. We're not picking front runners here, Matt. They're, they're, they're not playing against they won, well, they won the damn thing. They won, they won the whole yeah, so thing. So why wouldn't you pick them? Front runner. Why wouldn't you pick them? I just maybe think outside the box. For yeah, one, that's your life. problem. You're always what, trying to go outside your the box, but yeah. your box is so small. You didn't pick a box, man. I, I, I could have picked Turnbull. I could have picked Jerry, but I tried to do something to make it interesting. Again, it's, it's like the power five. So, so mainstream, so front runner. It's unbelievable. Anyway, I, don't, I, don't, I disagree. Well, you picked Jalen Howe. Right, so mainstream, so front runner, the one kid who's got who's been capped on a national team, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, you went out there, man. Put it out there. Took a big risk with that one. Let, let's keep in mind, front runners is the name of Matt's bar in his backyard. Yes, because he's wearing a Man United jersey right now with a Yankees hat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, yeah. I don't think he what can throw my, stones. What about my Nick socks? I got my Nick socks on. Uh, how's that for fun? <laughs> I don't know. That is the first time I've heard this. It's really, I, you're you're for whoever LeBron plays for. Oh no, I'm not. What about, what about the Washington football team? Support them my whole life. Okay, Sorry. I'll give you that. Yeah, you're right. yeah. So. Okay, right. what about your pick for a preseason number one going into next season? Who's the number one team in the country? Matt. That's got to be Florida State. Oh, front runner. Can't believe you're going with Florida State. What a front runner. <laughs> I'm glad I got to pick first because you know you're going to say the same thing, probably. I'm going Florida State Seminoles. Let's go. Bring that hatchet out. Let's go. Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. Ryan. At Florida State mm. until proven otherwise. Yeah. Me too. Florida State. Oh, shocker, shocker, shocker. Uh, no, they got everybody back, right? They're going to add a big-time goalkeeper, and Lord only knows how many other big-time sure. players are going in there. Um, they'll be back. They'll be back, no doubt. They'll be back. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we're not far from Beeps' preseason predictions, are we, Matt? No, we're not. We're not. You know, I think in his, it's probably, you know how he goes. Florida State's number two in his. You yeah. know, he's got number one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we uh, – we're wrapping up our our first season. How about that? First season, first season, yeah, yeah. Soccer Nation. Yeah, I like it. We're going to uh, take some time off here. Yep. Um, there may be one that pops up along the way somewhere in the summer, but for the most part, we'll be back again in August at the start of preseason. Um, it's been a good. It's been a good year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think good. you know, Chris. Think about if we reflect back on a little bit almost 10,000 downloads we have yeah um in a crazy crazy year of uh, of covid and spring season and fall season and all this stuff 
And 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 real quick, I, I would just like to say this, you know, playing in both seasons, you know, and we had this conversation at dinner one of the nights in, in Raleigh. Um, I am not a proponent of the of 21st century model. I have no problem saying it. And I think that why the way the men want to do it and some of the women want to do it makes sense for where they're at with with their teams and their players. But, uh, you know, living through it, it's not fair to the players. Uh, I think there's there's so few players that actually have pro aspirations. Um, that is one of the big reasons for it. I just don't agree with with it for the 338 women's teams because there's only so few players that are actually going to go pro that would maybe help in their development. I think the idea of, of making this, keeping this amateur and keeping it, um, you know, collegial um, to me, um, again, 10 games in the fall and, and another 10 in the spring was just too difficult and not what these kids have signed up to do. So just as we go forward, I, I appreciate what the, the 21st century model was but I'm not in favor of it. And I'm looking forward to having it back to a 20 game fall season um, and, and being able to crown another champion here in, in six months, you know? So I'm with you. I, I totally agree with you. Um, Brian, the show couldn't have happened without you. Mm -hmm. Would have been a lot better without Matt, but it couldn't have happened without you. So we appreciate your, your insight uh, and helping us get this up and running and we'll be back next year for sure. But it's, all, it's always a good time. It's just like sitting around at dinner, having a chat. So it's a good time. Well, and I, I would say any of the listeners, if you ever see us out having dinner, feel free to come and join us. We'd be happy to chat with you. We're a, we're a very, um, we're not an exclusive group. Chris, what does that mean? We're, if we're not exclusive, what are we? We're welcoming. We're, we're welcoming. 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 So if you see us out and about as June 1st, we're all hitting the road hard, um, you know, in recruiting and recruiting and everything else. You know, stop by and see us. We'll take feedback from the show. Uh, we love doing it. I love doing it. Uh, again, um, having the big deal on and, and having the, the old white-haired guy on is, is a lot of fun. Um, and I think we did a, a really a, a, a good service for the, for the sport, in my, in my opinion. So maybe that's a little self-serving, but I, I do believe we've, we've done a good job. And looking forward to the next one. And, and I would say, look, at the end of June, we'll have another show on it. There'll be a power five that needs to be discussed probably about that <laughs> all right Sounds all right good. take us out matt all right again thanks for listening please download us tell your friends we'll be back for season two in the beginning of august but maybe we'll get a summer one in there again we appreciate all the feedback it's been great it's been great fun we're going to keep doing this as long as chris neck was neck will allow us to show up and and do this stuff so again thanks everybody thanks Darren for producing us great season one we'll be back better than ever in season two college soccer nation is out. If you have questions for Coach Petroselli or Coach Mott, you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olemiss.edu. College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.